You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Global Trade This Week. I'm Pete Mento, and with me, as almost always, is, uh, well, is the, uh, how should I put this? Indefatigable, I've said before. Irreplaceable, certainly, for any of you who ever watched Keenan have to sit in the B chair or the A chair as it is, Mr. Doug Draper. Doug, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm doing yeah. well. The uh, I've some of the listeners out there may or viewers may realize that Troy, my right hand man, other than yourself, is no longer with us. He's still uh, so I'm working in a co working space. So co working means there's a lot of activity, and they have these soundproof booths, which I guess is kind of the cool thing and co-working spaces so i am i'm looking down i'm probably in a three by three foot box that um i am now doing my show and i think troy would be just a little too close um for comfort over my shoulders so we'll have to think of something else to throw back there but uh anyway i'm in a booth a three by three foot booth i'll have to get a picture of troy and then you can sort of pin him behind you with a thumbtack yeah there we go a mini troy that's not a bad idea to have a mini troy because i I do feel like you need a little color behind you, pal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, my dark you. sweaters against a gray, whatever this is here. So we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure yeah, it out. I guess we will. Well, Doug, I kicked the show off. And that means that it's, uh, it, it's, your, it's your chance to go ahead and start us off right. with your first, uh, first topic, pal. Okay. I've, it seems like I've kind of gotten into uh, air freight mode in the last couple of weeks. Um, and this one caught my attention. So um, it kind of goes along with the autonomous nature of drones and things of that nature. Um, so I guess I'm going to say, am I wrong about the autonomy and the whole drones and the viability of hauling freight and moving things? And the answer, Pete, as I thought about it is, nope, I'm still spot on about that. And here's, here's, here's the deal. So there's this company in San Diego that just popped up. It's called AmeriFlight. And um, they've just sold a couple, I shouldn't say a couple, like 20, um, uh, 20 pilotless cargo jets uh, from Nautilus. So AmeriFlight is actually a division of UPS. I'm sorry. And uh, Nautilus is the company that's in San Diego that's providing these. So they are pilotless cargo jets designed for short haul type of lines. So example here in Denver and Colorado. You need to take a little puddle jumper from Denver over to like Gunnison, Aspen area, where you can't really navigate the roads pretty uh, uh, safely. So anyway, uh, UPS and, and AmeriFlight partnership, they have about 150 of these type of flights daily. Um, so they're going to uh, throw them up there, which, you know, I just don't, I, I don't know. I can't understand the viability of that. Um, you know, they say that the short haul, uh, it hits hard to access areas, which I get. I understand that for sure. Living in Colorado, those are two examples that I just gave. Pilot shortage um, and uh, how that's impacting the uh, airline industry. Yep, I think I, I kind of get that um, to some degree. They can also carry more cargo. If you get two humans out of an airplane, I guess that's an extra couple hundred pounds. Um, and it says they can grow their routes based on that. So. I, I just don't know the practicality of it. Um, 
I like the forward leans on this, Pete, is I, I like that they keep on trucking along with new technology. But here's the deal. And I think with all autonomous natures is that the jazz hands that pop up and talk about the potential is like 10 years the actuality, the, the the promise and the commitment and the and the implementation and what we see, that is a very wide number of years um, to the point of where it may be decade or decades in order to make that happen. And I think we're seeing that with with drones, long haul uh, electric vehicles and trucks. Is that it sounds good, it makes for a good headline, but the practicality of everything is that it is still a very, very long way away. And I just don't see, um, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze on these pilotless uh, airplanes, cargo jets, um, other than something fun to throw out and, and market against. So um, anyway, here's my example, Pete. I'm going to end with this one because I'm rambling a little bit, but here's some numbers, right? 18,000 layoffs at Amazon. So 18,000 and a significant portion of that is their drone delivery unit. Um, their Oregon lab, I think, is cutting about 50%. So an adult finally stepped in the room and realized that drone delivery needs to be sidebarred or continually delayed and focus on um, the core competency. Uh, Bezos first talked about this in 2013. He could have that same exact press release today, and we would be as far along as we are with drone deliveries as we were tw uh, 10 years ago. So anyway... Uh, it's just, um, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't think it's viable. I don't think it's necessary. There's my drone take for uh, uh, February of 2023. What's it going to take, Doug? Like, there's all these companies that are making cargo drone aircraft. Like, you just made a great example. When you don't have people on a cargo drone, on a cargo aircraft, you don't have to pressurize it, which means you don't have to make it into a tube. You can make it in all kinds of really cool shapes, which hold more cargo using the same mm -hmm. amount of fuel. And it makes it more sustainable and it makes it more efficient. But yeah. I'm telling you right now, if I ever get to go to work for a company that buys one of these drones, drone number one is going to be called, I told you so, Doug. <laughs> that's what it's going to be called. Or it's going to be called the Draper Express. Yeah. I swear on all that's holy. Yeah. I, What's it, it going to take? Um, proof of concept beyond a couple of guys floating it around in West Texas and making one or two deliveries in a two-mile radius, dropping off three-pound packages. Um, I don't. I don't know how long ago it was that the that the Wright brothers were in North Carolina at Kitty Hawk, but it wasn't that long ago. And then I don't know what the leap was from the Wright brothers in Kitty Hawk. <laughs> to world war one but it wasn't that far and then from world war one with like you know doug's up front flying the plane or maybe he was in the back i don't know like doug's in the back flying the plane and then pete's up front like literally with a box of bombs going wee like dropping them on people in france to the next war which is a couple decades later you know guys are going around in b-17s like you know and then people were playing with jet technology mm -hmm. to a decade later in korea Guys are flying jets and shooting each other to a couple decades later, you got MIGs and, you know, we're, we're starting to really fly around with jets to a couple decades later, you got the Gulf War. I mean, the, the movements that we have with, with, with aeronautical technology, man, you're just, yeah. 
I get it. I get it. I get it. So I'm going to answer your question. Yeah, I'm going to answer your question because you said, what's it going to take? And you just answered it by saying the word time. It's going to take time. And I guess my biggest beef is that everybody thinks it's going to happen next week. So is this possible? Yeah, I guess it is. But I'm talking here and now in my in my career and my tenure in this industry. Time, we'll see if this shakes out because that's exactly what you just described in your chronological. I, I know what it's going to take, Doug. Here's what it's going to take. It's going to take Doug booking like a thousand kilos on the drone is what it's going to take. It's going to take like mm. you booking space on a drone flight for one of your customers is what it's going to take. And then you'll be like, yeah, okay, I guess it works. Yeah. And then we're going to hear not. about it on the show. And then you're going to be like, all right, I buy into it now. Now I guess I'm yeah. in. But until it. then, you're going to be like, it's not going to work. Get off my lawn. No. So that was all a ruse. Yeah, I all guess right. it's fine. So we can we that that's the the one a month, uh, one time a month, um, uh, a soapbox on that one. So we're gonna yeah. pivot. What's your first okay. one today? Um, so my first one today is um, similar in my cantankerous nature, and that is um, you know there's a, there's a there's something that people don't really think about, and that is uh, when you have a bunch of laws, those are easy to pass. So like Congress or your local school board or your local uh, city council, everyone sits around and they say, Hey, here's something that's a problem. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a problem. Okay. Well, how should we deal with that? Well, we should create a law to either address it or create a law to try to get people to, to not do it. You know, well, or maybe we'll create a law to, to get people to maybe um, act differently so that we, we, we try to get them to do more so that it, it makes it better compels them to act in a different way. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. So let's create a new law. And then they all vote on it. And we're like, okay, yeah. And eyes have it. And someone takes a hammer and they smack something. And before you know it, ta-da, new legislation. Great. Well, then we have to enforce it. And for those of us that live in the U.S., we have all kinds of law enforcement. We have city, county, state, and federal. Um, if you are ever driving anywhere near me, you have a pretty good understanding of my attitude towards the local police and state police when it comes to traffic violations. I tend to drive a wee bit over the speed limit, as it were. Um, and then, of course, you have the, uh, the federal law enforcement, which is really what I'm getting at now. Customs just has to enforce, like, everything, right? They have to enforce all these laws when anything crosses a border. And then on top of that, you've got export law where customs gets engaged in a lot. But then there's some other areas of enforcement like the Director of Defense Trade Controls, the Bureau of Industry and Security, where people hear that, Office of Foreign Asset Control, and immediately your butt puckers a little bit. Well, like you should immediately get scared. Anytime I say OFAC, your heart should skip a beat because they are a terrifying group of people. The same thing with the Director of Defense Trade Controls. Here's the deal. Doug, if you threw a dinner party, like spur of the moment, you could get more people to come to your house tonight than there are enforcement people for all of the DDTC. Like there are barely, the the um, Consumer Product Safety Commission, um, there are more people in my immediate family than there are that do trade enforcement for CPSC. Like th there's barely anybody that's engaged in enforcement, but we continually create new laws and enforcement. There was that great meme that had, I think it was Death Valley, you know, where Tennessee plays. And it said, this place holds 87,000 people or whatever. 
and that's as many IRS agents as they're about to hire to enforce, you know, audit. Think about that, right? We don't have even, I think, like a thousand uh, uh, customs agents that are currently engaged in dealing with border enforcement for trade enforcement. Like there's barely anybody dealing with trade enforcement, but we're constantly adding to border enforcement. So now the president and Congress are talking about re-engaging with China to try to get some sort of new trade deal, right? To try to re-engage with phase one of the China-US trade deal, re-engage with phase two. How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? We, we have absolutely no methodology for making sure that enforcement actually happens other than waiting a year, checking statistics, and see if we did it. Is this the honor system? I don't think either one of us is going to be actually very good with the honor system because China sure hasn't been super good with it in the past. And I think if left to our own advices, we wouldn't be very good at uh, devices. We would be so hot at it as well. So, Doug, the whole point I'm trying to make here is that trade policy is only so good as the enforcement that goes along with it. And as a country, we have been, not been doing a very good job of making sure that trade enforcement is keeping up with trade policy. And it's about time we put our money where our mouth is with regards to enforcement. So um, my take on that is just outsource it, right? And, and I, I think of that as um, the CTPAT and all the things that happened after 9-11 and the amount of consultants that came into that field yeah. to help uh, buoy companies to make sure they were compliant. Um, I don't know. What, let, let's uh, develop some companies and maybe there'll be folks that come in and, and uh, act as a third party, which means there's another layer of people you have to pay, another layer of uh, uh, you know financial burden, if you will. So I don't know. Maybe it's just outsourcing the thing and... and um, and creating a whole new um, consultancy arm or, you could, or enhanced consultancy arm that's already out there. You come up the way where there's also a benefit to enforcement, right? Where if you do the right thing, there's a benefit. Or if you don't do the right thing, there's a benefit to someone who catches you. There used to be something where if you got caught um, you know, with anti-dumping or countervailing duty, if someone caught you, there was a financial benefit to the person who who busted you. So mm -hmm. you could always talk about that again. I don't know how I feel about that ethically, but it's something that could be there as well. So um, carrot and stick, buddy. Carrot and stick. It, it's never yeah. as easy as it looks. It but um, that leads us to halftime, brought to you by our dear friends at Cap Logistics uh, that bring us the show, um, give us this platform to drone on and on about what we think is going to happen with global trade. Learn more about them. Check them out at Cap Logistics. And with that, Doug, what do you got for us for our first topic this week? Yeah, I like it. So mine's pretty short and sweet, and some folks may have may have seen this. We just pull these half times from the headlines, right? So there's this cat out there named Brian Johnson. He's a centimillionaire. I'd never heard of that term before, but that means if you have hundreds of millions of dollars instead of tens of millions, I mean, who doesn't want to be a centimillionaire, right? So um, guy's 45 and he's really trying to find the fountain of youth. Um, so he's got kind of some discretionary income. He's got some side hustles with his, with his business, but he's making news, not for that. He's making news with um, spending close to $2 million a year with 30 medical professionals monitoring every bodily function in hopes of uh, reversing aging. Um, so what he's doing is not cosmetic. It's all, a lot of it's focused on organs 
right? Um, and how do you reverse the time and make a liver 10 years younger? Pete, I, I know you can talk about how to make a liver 10 years older, but this guy's focused on 10 years younger. Um, and he's getting poked and prodded. And, um, you know, the, the doctors are saying it's working. Um, you know, he's got the, the heart of a X year old and so on and so forth. But the bottom line is this guy's got the discretionary money to do it. And he is a, a human guinea pig. And I love it. Not, not because of him personally, but there will be a lot um, learned with this uh, gentleman. Now, are they going to find the cure to cancer? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But the fact that uh, all of these treatments uh, are, are happening to him as an individual that he allows, I think there's going to be some good things that come of it. Not so much, um, you know, uh, uh, eliminating the lines in your face or doing Botox type of stuff, but real things and technology and processes that can help um, uh, control the, co uh, the uh, control aging. So I like it. Bring it on. Keep doing it. Invest your money to help us figure out what some of the uh, right remedies are. So anyway, that's my that's my two cents. Rock on, Brian Johnson. Keep going. So uh, this is uh, one of those topics that when I'm maybe had a couple bottles of wine too many or when I've probably had a couple of glasses of whiskey too many, I do ponder a little too much, Doug. And um this is so. This is one of the. There's a number of what they call fundamental pathways of philosophy that people ponder. One of them is immortality. So the concept of of at what point is a life is a life too long? Too long, you know. Um, they call it the, vamp, the vampiric philosophy. So if you could live forever, if you could have this sort of soulless existence where you were able to live forever, would you want to pursue it? And to what end? What? So you know, does does having a, a finite life make it richer, knowing that eventually it will end? And does it make you, um, does it make that life more precious? And, you know, there's a cynical nature to us as human beings that's like, hell no, right? Like if I knew I, I was indestructible and I could live forever, it would make me even more, um, more cognizant of what's around me. I would take more risks. I would do even more with what I have and, and I would probably have a richer life. And there's a part of us that says, that the fact that my life is fragile and that eventually I will die, I will do more beautiful things with it. So you know, that's a whole other conversation. But from the scientific part of me, I think it's incredible, you know, um, just a cursory, a cursory look into what's going on with stem cells, as an example of what we're able to do to regenerate parts of the human body almost, almost with immediate effect to give people longer, more, um, more robust lives by giving them new joints, by being able to regenerate parts of their bodies. That's incredible. Uh, mm. The things that um, we're able to do through chemicals, through genetic engineering, through, um, through gene therapies, it, it is incredible. But at the same time, I also, um, I also think that there's something to be said for, for accepting the fact that this, that this bag of meat will eventually decay and be gone and not spending too much too much of your time being concerned with the fact that that it will that you should stop it from aging you know mm -hmm. there's there's something to be said for accepting the fact that you'll eventually be dust and doing what you can with what you have and gracefully going through that um this is a topic that mrs trig geek and i spend a lot of time disagreeing on i think no matter how old she is she'll be beautiful and wonderful and uh and that there's something to be said for accepting aging uh, so yeah. yeah, Doug, 
I think it's great that someone is spending so much time and so much money learning to control it. And I hope that we do learn a lot from it from science. But I also think that you shouldn't become obsessed with it. Nice. Yeah, good. Good perspective. So yeah. now, uh, I love your halftime. So you just yeah. let her let her rip. Yeah. So um, today, as we're recording this, Tom Brady had a uh, a new video saying, "This time, I'm not kidding. Uh, I really am retiring, everybody." And uh, it was heartfelt. It was short. It was brief. And he said, "You only get to have one emotional retirement video in a career." And I used mine up last year, which was funny. And uh, this time I really am retiring. And so what I sent to Doug today was, could you imagine if in this industry we had retirement videos? Like if you if you went up on LinkedIn and there was a picture of, you know, Bob from from the warehouse, like, hey, everybody, uh, I just want to, you know, I want to go out there and have a meaningful moment to let everybody know that I'm uh, I'm mindfully leaving the warehouse industry after 35 years. Um, you know, all the hundreds of people that have been part of my life. I want to thank all of them. It's been a hell of a run. Or if like, you know, um, somebody who'd been a salesman, like, you know, Doug and I had spent all this time working with clients, you know, this tearful moment where we say goodbye to the industry or more likely if it was me and I like gave everyone the double bird, <laughs> you know, uh, I've, I've always said that on my final day in the industry, I'll probably go to Logan airport, um, completely naked and, um, or, or, or more likely, like I'll, I'll go dressed in a clown outfit from head to toe, and not speak any, not speak at all. Like you know, big shoes the whole bit, with mm -hmm. a with a big with a big um, rainbow afro and the makeup on and everything, and not speak at all, and just go through security. And when the and like have you know have like nails in my pocket or something, so that they have to cut <laughs> me down and everything. And then when the TSA guy comes and messes with me, like I'll squirt him in the face for my flower and the whole bit. Like I'm I'm going down when I go through it. But um, yeah, my, my video on my last day, it, I would, I probably have some things to say to some people it, it would not be this gracious. I want to thank everyone. And then he has like a video of all these highlights from his career. Mm -mm. No, I think, I think I'd have some things to say to some government officials on my way out the door yeah. for, for yeah. my video and some, and some former employers as well, as I said, my goodbye. Yeah. Well, I could see it when, when, when I, when you shot that over to me this morning, there, there's two visions. One is, I can't remember the exact sketch, but Kate McKinnon from Saturday Night Live does some pretty funny skits. Oh, one of them. The alien ones? The alien one, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's either going to be, you know, something like that where the guy has just seen it all, right? And you think it's all rosy. I'm going to give you my perspective. And he's, uh, the, uh, the guy or the gal is going to be worn down, weathered, smoking cigarettes, just slowly just hunching down in their seat. Oh, yeah. Uh, just getting burned down. But funny and comical the whole way. So that's one of them. The other one is the guy that just, and I probably put you, maybe myself in this category. It's like they're in a black Camaro sitting out there, you know, the last with their box. Put their box in there. And all of a sudden he gets in there and he just cranks up like Van Halen, ACDC. So you can't even hear. He's having his last conversation with somebody. They can't even hear what he's saying when that's by design. And he takes a big pull on his cigarette and he flips it out the window while his window slowly uh, raises and the car is mm -hmm. completely black and the and the and the uh, and the, uh, the the windows are tinted and then he just rips it out of there like like he's a nineteen you know like Starsky and oh, Hutch yeah. just ripping it out and takes off. So it's either yeah. one of those two 
you could put put people in in one of those two categories. Yeah, you know, it'd be great for a broker, man. Like, um, you've got you've got your tariff, like that big that big tariff book of all the classifications, and and it's just sitting in the middle of the parking lot, and you got a bottle of Everclear like one fifty one, <laughs> and you just pour it on the on the tariff and light it on fire. Then you take a big swig of the one fifty one, and you walk away in slow motion like an action hero. And throw right. it over your shoulder, and it hits the tariff and explodes as you walk Love away, it. like looking all cool. Yeah, that. Also, see, a broker, a broker would miss because we're just not athletes. Like it would totally miss. It would be five feet away because we don't have the hand-eye coordination to actually hit the tariff. <laughs> That's how that would end. Um, or we'd light ourselves on fire because we have yeah. no athletic prowess. But yeah. yeah, it's nice to have those fantasies. But in actuality, what will happen, Doug, is on my last day. I'll probably go to like Applebee's with the people I work with and have five or six beers and then go home and take a nap. Yeah. Well, or I'll never, I'll never stop. I'll never stop working. You and I will both be 80 doing the show. Cause we just can't stop talking about this crap. Yeah. They think we ramble on now. Just wait, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when there weren't drones and Bitcoin wasn't the only currency. Yeah. That's what the show is going to be like when I'm 80. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, if there are any of our listeners out there have made it this far in our show and want to give us True. your take on uh, on your thoughts with uh, retirement from our industry, please uh, please let us know. Please. All right, so we're on the we're on the back half of this bad boy. So uh, let let me jump in. My my second one's pretty um, pr pretty quick, right? So it's really about um, the concept of final mile delivery, right? Um, that's a big one. We talked about how. Um, is it the final frontier? Who's going to do it? How are we going to work and collaborate? And my, my whole thing on this thing is that there needs to be um, a major epiphany and a disruptor. I hate using the term disruptor, um, but I think it's uh, it, it needs to happen because Pete, literally this weekend, I'm not. This is not a story I made up for for, for this show. I saw on my block in one afternoon. FedEx, UPS, Amazon, and some uh, some couriers, you know, that, that are on the side. Four different companies uh, delivering on my same block. So, the, the, you know, just like Uber was a disruptor in the whole taxi and the and the ride sharing type of thing. That that term didn't even exist. Uh, ride sharing a, a while back is it yep. optimization and collaboration? That's another term that's overused, but I think it's very valid. And I think what's going to happen is there's going to be some some younger generation. You and I have spoken about this and then I'll kind of wrap this one up. Number one, our generation, well, the older generation for sure, and probably we're on the on the, the middle ground, is that if you share data or I talk to you about my customers or the secret sauce that I use to make sure my customer is satisfied, I do not want to share that with you because I will lose a competitive advantage. Sharing is not good. This new generation that's coming up, all about sharing and collaboration and sharing data is good. A rising tide raises all ships. And the concept of I am exposed or I, I lose my competitive advantage by sharing, the mentality is not quite there with the younger generation as with ours and older. So that mentality is going to enable some disrupting technology to come out there. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to happen in the next 10 years, in my opinion, not next week. And it really needs to have a collaboration of all delivery companies that are technically competitors to work together. So there's not four trucks on your block every single day. There's one and it may be FedEx today. It may be UPS tomorrow, but they're delivering each other's packages and they're reducing our carbon footprint. 
and they're making things more efficient and there is a true collaboration. So our generation and older collaborating in some instances is bad. You lose your, um, uh, your competitive advantage, but this new generation is going to figure it out because you can only have so many autonomous trucks. You can only have so many electric vehicles. The simple fact that there's four delivery vans on my street in about a four hour window on a Sunday afternoon, that is not sustainable. And that is not going to solve the final mile problem. It will come with some young entrepreneurial spirits and there will be real collaboration thinking outside of the box. So that's my two cents on the, uh, on the final mile. So I was going to put something on LinkedIn about this at some point. So maybe it'll be this week, but, um, the day I became a stand-up comedian, Doug, um, I was in my sophomore English class in high school, and my my English teacher was a lady named Miss Churchill, who was also my debate coach. Um, very nice lady, and I, I owe her a lot. I don't even know I I don't even know if she's alive anymore. Actually, I feel kind of guilty about that. Um, but I was I was a I was a cut up, and I was a bit of a snot. You know, I was always. It should come as no surprise, Doug. I didn't get enough attention as a child. Um, but my mom and dad went to the open house a few weeks into my sophomore year, and they came home with a list of what all my teachers had said. And in every instance, the word was used that I was disruptive in class. And you had just mentioned, right, um, disruptors, right? So when I was a young man, the term being a disruption was a bad thing. And um, Mrs. Churchill, said, I won't have you be disruptive in my class. But there's something to be said being disruptive. So she said to me, it's okay to be a spectacle as long as you're doing something with it. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to be disruptive when you do something that's, that's, actually, that's actually positive with it, right? What are you doing when you have everyone's attention? So today is Tuesday. When you come back on Friday, I will give you five minutes of my class. So do something positive with it. Oh, nice. And um, I, I remember sitting down and being absolutely just, I mean, weak in the knees and terrified that I had to do something with five minutes of class on Friday. But then I went back and I did something with five minutes of class on Friday. And I actually made people laugh, not for the five minutes, for a portion of the five minutes, for like a... I, I mostly ate shit for the five minutes, but for five minutes, I did make people laugh. And it, it, it opened up something in me that made me want to make people laugh forever. And I owed that moment of disruption. When you talk about these kids, right, they're not afraid to collaborate with one another because they know that it's not the data and the collaboration that scares them. They're going to find something to do with it. So all that data being shared with one another they're going to find something to do with the collaborated data and make money with that. Whereas to us owning the data in our industry and having that information and holding it tight and not sharing it with anyone else, that's how we've made the the money for the past hundred years. Whereas to them, they're saying, we're going to make the money by sharing it with everyone. So to them, their disruptive moment, what they're going to do with it, the amazing thing they're going to do with it is they're going to take that moment and they're going to take that information. And the beautiful thing they're going to do with it is they're going to find a way to make money with that data now. Mm. That's their moment. And that moment, I think, is passed me by. I don't know if it's passed you by. You're a little more progressive than I am. But I think that you're going to see in the next 40, 50 years, 
that's how they're going to make incredible amounts of money is by saying, I'm open, you open, cool, you're open and you're open. Now let's all get rich by finding ways to make money with the open data that's all out there. Yeah, yeah that's a paradigm mind shift for sure. So, awesome. All right, bring us home, okay. my friend. Yeah, uh, so, um, you know, my, my last piece here, it's a, it's a little bit different. And I, I, I keep seeing this in the news, man. Like, customers suing freight forwarders. Nothing new, right? We used to get sued over stuff like damaging cargo, um, you know, things like that. But boy, are they coming up with creative reasons to take us to court. So cyber attacks. You had a cyber attack and I couldn't get my stuff delivered. You had a cyber attack and my stuff got delivered late. You had a cyber attack and my information got let out. Um, You gave me some bad advice. I asked you for information and you gave me some advice and that advice got me into trouble. You know, all these creative ways take us to court. And my, my first, as a guy that's worked for some pretty litigious freight forwarders in and of themselves, my first response is, did you read the contract? Like, did you, did you read the terms and conditions of the contract that we had you sign that your legal team put me through the ringer before you sign, because I've been on those incredibly long calls where my attorney and your attorney ripped each other's hair out for two or three hours. And I was pretty sure that we weren't going to get this business. And then someone put pen to paper or e-doc to e-doc. And now we're doing business and everything was hunky-dory. But now after the fact, in a down economy, all of a sudden, something went a little haywire. And although we're still doing business with each other, you've decided you're going to sue me over something that was literally unlikely to happen in the first place. It may be outside the scope of our contract. That just doesn't seem right. But I'm telling you, Doug, I think this is going to happen a lot. Like, I, I really do. I'm looking at, at you know, the, the news stories we're seeing about people getting sued over cyber attacks, people getting sued over stuff that happened during the COVID uh, years. And I think that now that the COVID stuff's behind us, there's a lot of attorneys who are knocking on doors saying, hey, you might have a lawsuit. And people are listening to it. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this stuff. So freight forwarders better start warring up, pal. I just, mm -hmm. I just, I think it's going to be this way for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe the only um, saving grace to that, I guess, from a um, service provider side would be, you know, I don't want to, I don't even know this is, if this is a thing, but like the COVID rule, right? There's so many things that came into play that, you know, an act of God or errors and admissions and things mm -hmm. of that nature. So I could see, a class action suit being filed by uh, do we cheat them and how law firm and, um, you know, try to go after that kind of thing. I, I think you nailed it with the contract. There's going to be clauses in there that people have already figured out through COVID on how to word it appropriately. And um, the insurance for errors and omissions and, and um, you know, the liability aspect of it, I think it, it, it'll be interesting. I think it'll get a little pitch and then it'll, it'll taper off because the wolves will realize there's nothing there to bite on anymore, but maybe the law firm I just mentioned uh, would put together a class action and make a lot of noise and stuff. But it's it's interesting topic for sure. It's just madness. You know, it's these lawyers. I think they're just trying to get someone to settle and it's just parasites, man. It's death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, for sure. All right, Pete, I think that uh, that's going to do it. I think it was a good show today. What do you think? Good show? Oh, I agree. Always a good show. Happy to have you back from Sin City, pal. 
Thank you. That's awesome. And I want to thank all of our listeners uh, for tuning in. Uh, we like to think we bring something to the table in this industry with our experience and give it a little levity during halftime. So uh, thank you all for listening. And thanks, uh, Cap Logistics, for putting this whole thing on. Uh, we wouldn't be here pontificating and, and expressing our uh, opinions without them. So thank you very much. And that's it. I think that's called a wrap, Pete. And uh, we'll see everybody later, including you. We'll catch you on next week. Thanks, Doug. See you next week. Thanks, Katie. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye, everybody.